The reading is Romans 10, verses 5 through 15. So this is God's word. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. Whoever does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who calls on him. All who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this space, this art gallery, this hub of arts, culture, and activism, and we rent the space to have a worship service. We come from all kinds of different lives, and as there's always different things happening in this building throughout the week, the same is true of those in this room. And so we bring to this space some degree of desire and anticipation for something about your story or about you as a God or you as Jesus of Nazareth to be, to be somehow helpful to us. So whether we come filled with doubts on that journey or we come uh, with grief right now, um, whether we come healing from heartbreak or whether we come in great joy or in some kind of great happy anticipation of things that are about to happen, whatever the place we come from, we ask that you would um, give us the sense today that this is not just about words on a page or on a screen or coming out of a preacher's mouth, but that you are very much here. You have made it uh, you've made it happen that we are here, each of us, for a reason. And you have our journey in your hands. And may that help us. As we come, we're more of a mess than we care to admit, every single one of us. And this story tells us that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And may that, that combination of honest brokenness and lavish forgiveness and grace be transformative 
every time we think of it and hear of it and try to figure it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm hoping that this sermon sounds heartfelt. I uh, plan on it being light-hearted at the beginning, and then for it to get a little more intense uh, towards the middle so that I'm pulling on your heartstrings, and then by the end, your hearts are on fire. Is that, that, the, the, we use that word in a lot of expressions, heart, right? The heart's all over the place. Some of you are wild at heart, right? You can be wild at heart. Some of you are maybe cold-hearted. You can be heavy-hearted as you sit here this morning. You can be a bleeding heart as you sit here this morning. You can have a broken heart. Uh, with this message today, you can choose to or not to take it to heart. And you might even wear your heart on the sleeve, on your sleeve. And some of you are this morning, you forgot to eat breakfast, so you have your heart set after the service on eating your heart out to your heart's content. <laughs> One of the things we say in terms of spirituality and religion, and you've heard this, is it, what, you know, there's a lot of doctrine out there, there's a lot of beliefs and there's religious activity. What really matters is what's in your heart. You heard that? And we have a passage of scripture today from Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writing to an early growing Christian church in a place that wasn't, didn't have the standard church people that Paul grew up with, or not very many of them, Jews, that went to synagogue. So this was Gentiles. And he's writing this letter, Romans 10, and actually this, the part of this letter in Romans chapter 10 is is actually agreeing with that voice about, it's wanting to come alongside that voice that says what really matters is the heart. It's wanting to, it's wanting to say there's, that you're definitely going in the right direction and it's saying also, and let me take that, let's, let's make sure we take that far enough. Let's make sure that doesn't just sound incredibly vague and mean whatever specifics you attach it to. Let's see if maybe there's something that's extremely true about that sentiment, and yet we need to add something specific to that sentiment of it's the heart that counts. That's Romans chapter 10 that's going to be getting at that. And this passage is extremely clunky and choppy, and it's not one you would pick if someone said, you know, you're in some intense Bible focused study group or something and they say memorize a chapter of the Bible no one would pick this one because it, it almost like doesn't even make any sense to our thinking as you try to follow the logic that doesn't seem like there's logic and, um, and I got you know as, as I heard in the recordings of the sermons while I was gone um, we're working through the book of Romans and every once in a while one of the preachers up here will say like you know and I got stuck with this passage because we're just following the, what's called the lectionary. And, and I kind of say that today. I got stuck with this passage. This is like a don't try this at home kind of piece of scripture. You know, don't read this. At, don't even bother reading this at home by yourself. You know, if it was a TV show that would say the footnote on the screen, you know, the things in this 
Bible passage are meant to be handled by licensed professionals who have years of experience looking at passages like this. And so I'm going to attempt, and I truly mean attempt, to be that licensed professional up here dealing with this scripture passage um, as we try to figure out what it's talking about. One of the helpful things to do right away is to say, okay, chapter 10 fits in with, uh, in, a, in, a, in sort of a section of the letter from 9 to 11, and from 9 to 11, what's going on is that the Apostle Paul is trying to figure out how to make sense of a multicultural church of Jews and Gentiles who are both part of the same new family. And this is one of the burdensome questions of this letter that Paul is asking. Why does it seem that the keepers of God's books, the Jewish people, are most resistant in that time, most resistant to God's son Jesus? Why is it seeming like amidst the church of Rome and in other places where the message is going out, amidst the joyful influx of foreigners and refugees into God's wonderful, loving family, why are the quote-unquote chosen Israelites not at the Jesus party? And then some bigger questions that actually will bleed into next week, and so we'll get at them then. But the questions of, did God make a mistake? Did God change his mind? Did God step away from the helm of the, the steering wheel here as Jesus comes and that doesn't quite resonate with God's chosen people? Um, so we'll get at some of those questions next week. But the question, so, so that's the bigger. So you imagine there's, there's a lot of things happening here. That's a bigger conversation. And then within that, we get this subtopic today, which gets into the heart. And what, what Paul does here, part of why it's so choppy and super confusing to us, is that he gives you a barrage of Jewish scripture text. You only would know it if you had a Bible like this that has a little tiny sub, what is it, what is it like the subtext, the notes for the footnotes, like E, F, G. So if you actually look at those, you see there's a bunch of those in a row in this passage, in the verses uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. There's all these quotes of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And one writer, I liked, I liked how this writer put it as he commented on this passage. I think it's think it, I think it, really cool. Paul is acting as a skilled midrashic DJ. He mixes a scriptural con conversation for the Roman churches to hear. And that's kind of what he's doing, except, you know, the side effect of it is sort of doesn't make any sense to us today because we're not familiar with what he's doing. But you can pretty quickly, if you kind of dig around and read what people are saying about this passage, you find out that what he's doing, a significant amount of these references that he's making go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And they go back to a part of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 30. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, there's sort of an epic chapter talking to the people of God, the Israelites, and how when they fall away from him, which it's kind of like when you do, it's not if, it's sort of like when you turn away from me to other gods and forget about me, God's message is, then, you know, you'll be banished from the land, you'll be sent out, you'll be, you know, other nations will rule over you, you'll be a dispersed, oppressed people because you've, you know, forgot about me. And, and, you know, so the people around Jesus' time really resonated with that as they were oppressed and 
dispersed and ruled over by the Romans. Um, so that's chapter 29, but chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, remember we're saying this points back to Deuteronomy 29:30. Deuteronomy 30 has a pretty optimistic message as well that when you turn to me, and, and, and some will turn to me and I will, you know, good things will happen again, is the message of Deuteronomy 30. So the contemporaries um, of Paul's day were, were looking at these passages, the contemporaries of Jesus' day, and in between the kind of the time of the Old Testament and Jesus, Deuteronomy 20 and 30, 29 and 30 were a little bit hot. And uh, the issue is how will we get right with God now? that we are still in Deuteronomy 29. We want to make it into Deuteronomy 30. How do we get there? And we ask similar questions today. It's, I mean, they are similar questions. It doesn't seem like it, but we're, everybody's walking around asking these questions about how do I get right? How do I find wholeness? You know, how do I just, be, how do I become centered, enlightened? How do I become okay with myself and with the world? How do I know I'm worthy? How can I just, how can I settle my heart? And we, we ask these questions today. And so Deuteronomy 29 and 30 are a place back then that they were mining it and trying to find answers for it. We look in other places, but we're still doing it. Um, so Paul wasn't the only one alluding to 29 and 30. People back in Jesus' day were, were doing it. If two people were sitting around and one of them said, is this Deuteronomy 29 and 30 stuff? Is, I didn't, is that a thing? And someone would say, oh yeah, that's a thing. Let me tell you. In certain circles, that's a thing. And, and let me bring you into that a little bit. Are, did my slides happen to make it, their way into this? Okay, thank goodness. All right. One of the writings in between the Old Testament and New Testament is a book called Baruch. It's fun to say. You want to say it with me? Baruch. And in Baruch chapter 3, there, this question is, is being sorted through. How will we get right with God? And it, amidst quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is, this is some of the quotes. I'm going to stand in your way here. So they perished because they had no wisdom. No one knows the way to her. She is the book of the commandments of God. All who hold fast to her will live. Turn, O Jacob, and take her. Walk toward the shining of her light. If you had to answer, what, how do you get right with God from some of those little quotes? What, what, what would you say? Anyone want to just throw? Mm-hmm. That's in there, yeah. And a focus on wisdom somehow connected to that too. And then let's look at the next slide because there's another... Uh, writing that was in between this time. Actually, this was, would have been probably more around Jesus' time. In a book from the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can Google that when you get home, not now, but Some Works of the Law is, is a title given to this, one of the writings of the, that is categorized within the Dead Sea Scrolls. And again, how will we get right with God? N.T. Wright summarizes this, so I don't have a straight quote. He's, he says, this writer too believes that his own generation is to be the one for whom Deuteronomy 30 comes true, but he sees the law which God sends to his people, transforming them and rescuing them, not in terms of wisdom, but in the form of a collection of special laws which he hopes will be observed in the temple in Jerusalem. So you sort of start to get the theme that in this discussion that was really a thing in Jesus' day of how will the people be made right, they were searching, they were agitating for it, they had some answers, 
of that they thought that they guessed tied to Deuteronomy 30 for what it was going to look like for them to finally be made right with God, to find what they're looking for. And Paul, what he does in this passage is that he's basically saying, look, whether you're a Jew and you're doing that search and you're looking in those places or whether you're a Gentile or whether it's you or me, we are already expending energy on this search. Just look at your life. You're expending energy on finding wholeness, on being right with God, so to speak. You might not even call it that. And you're looking for something that, well, I think truly can only be found in Jesus. And that's where Paul goes with this. He's saying that it, all the different ways of searching, they all kind of the roads all meet and converge on Jesus. This is how N.T. Wright, again, a New Testament scholar, describes what's happening right here in this passage. He says, this is exactly what Paul says in this passage with remarkable difference that instead of wisdom or new regulations for worship, Paul is, of course, talking about Jesus himself. You don't have to go up to heaven because the Messiah has already come down to you. You don't have to go down into the depths, Paul quotes the text in a slightly different way, because the Messiah has already been raised from the dead. The strange cryptic promises which spoke of the final undoing of the curse of exile have come true in Jesus. All right, that is a little bit of like putting your thinking caps on in some ways, but I had a visual, so I did my part to make it interesting. And where I think we need to land with it is there's something you are searching for and you are very likely to bypass the actual answer, the actual solution in your search. You miss Jesus. You relegate maybe to a side, to this side, that side, the other side, rather than being the thing that actually would answer your search. Maybe you've, um, maybe your background is you've looked in it in your vocation. You've you've searched uh, for. Worldly success, you've climbed the ladder only to realize when you get to the top that you've put it up against the, wall, the wrong wall. Maybe you're, you've been searching in, for this answer in a spouse. Maybe you have a spouse, maybe you don't. And you're kind of putting all your eggs in that basket. Maybe it's, for you it's in experiences or in feeling good. Maybe for you, you find that you can't help but realize you're doing a kind of an epic search like this that's bringing you to drinking too much, and it's not found there either. Maybe you've been seeking it in exciting sexual encounters that never provide that elusive satisfaction that they promise. Maybe you're, raising, maybe you're looking to find it in raising your kids right, or in being a good person, or in physical fitness and appearance, maybe even in religion in getting it right, obeying, trying harder, getting the church's stamp of approval. And that's all part of your deeper search to obtain the good life. Maybe you are seeking it in intellect, philosophical answers to big questions. It's all part of our agitation. It's all connected to what Paul is seeing happening 
with the ancient people of Israel, with the Jewish people of his time who are stumbling over the answer in their blind search in the dark. It's kind of like if you were um, building your own house and you, had, you went to it at night and your headlamp batteries were running out, but you just had to put this one keyboard on these two foundation points. And instead of finding the foundation, you stumble over it and get injured and have to go to the ER. So this passage, right before what we read, talks about Jesus exactly that way. He's the, he's the cornerstone who becomes a stumbling stone. And that's how he explains some of what the Jews are doing, but we're all doing it. It's not just an ancient problem related to first century Jewish people. And so as we have the options of, up here of the law and the commandments, is that how I'm going to get right with God? Or some kind of divine wisdom, is that how I'm going to get right with God? Paul points us back to Deuteronomy 30, and he talks about the heart. The heart. You notice the word heart in Romans chapter 10 shows up a whole bunch of times. He's pointing to something. He's basically saying, oh, that's these religious ideas that the Jewish people are looking for in their search, they need something, they need a heart change. Not all that religious activity. There may be some religious activity, but it's, if it's there, it's going to flow out of a heart change. And in fact, so when he's talking about Deuteronomy 30 and he's talking about the heart, where the minds of people who know this conversation go is to verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30, where he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. That's a gruesome and odd image, isn't it? And the hearts of your descendants, so that they may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. I mean, so circumcision was just the quintessential religious act. That said, you're right with God. You are, and you're obeying, and you're doing this action, and it's a sign on you physically. And, and so you can see when you say circumcised heart, you're saying that sense of like something happening that changes your identity. It's actually got to happen at the heart level, and God's going to do that. And then, and then he gets really specific, Paul does, in Romans 10, when he brings it to verse 9 and 10, verses actually that do get memorized and quoted, if you declare with your mouth, now what, do you, what do you declare and what is, what is it in, that has to make its way into your heart? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So it's the heart that counts. Push a little further and get specific. Not just any old heart that has good intentions, but a heart that, it is, that has opened itself up to an encounter with Jesus, with the very real Jesus who is the wisdom of God personified, who is the fulfillment of the obedience of the law that we must rely upon. He is those things. 
but he brings them to a hurt level and a change. So I think, you know, and I think you sense, I think you sense in your own journey that your own heart and its, its best intentions are actually not enough. You and I sense this. We know this. You and I don't want to admit, but our true condition is we need open heart surgery when it comes to, you know, our spiritual condition. And I'm walking around with a heart that is wounded and broken. And so were, the, so were the Jews around Paul's time. So were the Gentiles. Same dilemma. Everyone walking around with a wounded heart, a broken heart, needing an encounter at the heart level with the healer of hearts. And that's Jesus. And whose obedience on your behalf and who is dying the death you should have died after living the life you should have lived, that all becomes yours through him and you begin to be healed and restored without religious uh, obligations heaped on your head. And so the Jews of Paul's day, he knows they were tripping over what they most needed, but we do the same. Um, And there's all kinds of ways that this can end up happening. Sometimes it happens, you trip over stuff because you, you go check out God's people. You know, you have an experience amidst religious people that um, doesn't live up to expectations, doesn't quite seem like godly enough or humble enough or peaceful enough. Maybe you expected his followers to be nicer. Maybe you expected his rules to be less restrictive. Maybe you expected his church to be less politicized. Maybe you expected the sermons to be more engaging. You can laugh, it's okay. (laughs) Maybe you visited a suburban church and you saw the light show and fog machines and you said, that just felt like a lot of try-hard hype. And I'm, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for divine presence, not smoke and mirrors. So let me end with, um, well, and just to sum that all up, you know, a lot of times our expectations are let down. But a lot of times we're forgetting to look where we're told to look right here. Jesus. Jesus himself. And bring, don't forget to bring your wounded and broken heart. Let me, let me finish with the words of a song by Julie Miller. You can have my life if you don't mind these tears. The quote's actually also in your worship guide if you want to know where it's, you know, you want to reference it later. You can have my life if you don't mind these tears. Well, I've heard that you make old things new, so I give these pieces all to you. If you want it, you can have my heart. So beyond repair, nothing I could do. I tried to fix it myself, but it was only worse when I got through. Then you walked right into my darkness, and you speak words so sweet, and you hold me like a child till my frozen tears fall at your feet. You can have my heart if you don't mind broken things. You can have my life If you don't mind these tears, well, I've heard that you make old things new, so I give you these pieces. I give these pieces all to you. If you want it, you can have my heart. Let us pray. Our God of grace, may something in these words, through your Holy Spirit's powerful work, ring true enough for us to take that next step towards you. Even as we come to the communion table in a minute, 
may there be a sense whether we come forward or stay in our seat and just ponder our place before you. May we have a sense that you are real enough for us to um, have a relationship with and have more hope tomorrow than we had today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.